Good. Welcome back to Two Homers and a Realist. This is the Midweek Pod before OU Texas. In Big D, two of us will be there. Maybe more? Maybe? No? No. Well, I'm going to be there, and I'm Steve. I'm Connor. Jay. Lucas. And we are ready for the best college football rivalry in all of uh, sports, in all of sports at any level. This is, this is the absolute This is the ultimate. pinnacle. Yep. This is it, guys. I don't care what they say about the others. It doesn't get any better than OU Texas. It's going to be amazing. Um, we are out here in the front of the studio. So we've moved out here because of the rain, and it's, it's wonderful. We don't have any problems, though, with our studio, and you know, we've got all the different facilities. No, any water leaks? That I'm, you I'm dry. No the water leaks. Dry the ceiling looks dry as well. Yeah, I think everything's yeah. working really well the way it's supposed to when you have a nice studio. Um, this is going to be my 40th OU Texas. My record is 21-16-2, and, and it's 22-16-2 if you count the Big 12 championship, which is a different version of OU Texas. It's not truly OU Texas. Um, I know all of us have been to a variety of numbers in terms of how many times we've attended. We've all been watching for a long, long time. It's a special, special game. Um, Texas is supposed to win this year. Texas is a six and a half point favorite. I want to know just in general, give me a feel. Are you optimistic or are you pessimistic for OU's chances? Connor? Uh, quick answer, I'm optimistic for the chances. Um, We'll get to scores and predictions later. I am optimistic, though, of how the game is going to play out, and I think if I can speak uh, just against what everyone is saying nationally, and not and maybe everyone's a, a large way to put it, most people seem to be thinking nationally. Um, I've got a much more optimistic viewpoint than what I I think most of the pundits have. Jay, what are you feeling? Yeah, I agree with that. The this game, you know, you can throw out records, you can throw out who's favored. Um, Whatever team brings it, brings it sometimes. And, of course, we absolutely have a puncher's chance this year. Defense has obviously improved. Dylan's been playing well. Um, this game could just go so many directions. I mean, I can see OU in a blowout. I can see Texas in a blowout. I can see it in an extremely low-scoring game. I mean, it's really hard to pin something down. Lucas, how do you feel? I have a love-hate relationship with this game. Um, <clears throat> I think it's because I hate Texas so much. It, it really, this week and the week after, depending on how things go, really changes my mood for for the whole year, but specifically this two-week period, the week leading up and then after. Um, I just, I don't like going to the game as much as you guys do. I'm, I think I've actually only been four times. I'm three and one. And you my, should go! My one loss was the Vince Young National Championship year when they were obviously way better than us and blew us out. But um, I've gone down to Dallas and just been part of the Friday night festivities and then watched it from a bar. I've done that a couple times. I'm 2-0 and in those instances as well. But um, as far as this game goes, I'm like, Jay, I could see OU win in a blowout, Texas win in a blowout, both, both teams being close. Um, it's, and sometimes this game just depends on a, a muff punt or – one guy breaking wide open up the seam on a 40-yard touchdown, and it literally changed the entire game. So so would you say, and I like the way you guys frame it as term, in terms of the national and maybe the local narrative, um, the local being the, the OU Texas bubble, are you more or less optimistic than, than that? I would say I'm less optimistic than these guys, but I'm still optimistic that it's going to be a close game. Okay. I'm pretty... 
I'm pretty optimistic. I'll, I'll own to being a homer a bit on this, and I think a little bit definitely <coughs> creeps in that I am very hopeful, desirable the COU do real well, but I think there's some realistic optimism here that we have, like Jay says, a puncher's chance. We've got a lot of tools. We are clicking on a lot of cylinders. We've been very critical of a lot of aspects of our game, especially offensively, and all that said, I'm very optimistic about this team's ability to do what they have to do. I could, I could see a lot of things happening. I could see us going out there and getting very surprised in comparison to the first five games of this year, of, yeah, this season, and say, wow, um, we just were a little bit duped into thinking that we were something that we're not. At the same time, I could say, huh, how did we doubt ourselves at all? Look, this is the, the elements that we've been seeing the whole way. This is what it takes to succeed and succeed on this stage, and it's one hell of a stage. We'll get to that in a second, and the fact that some of these players haven't faced this stage, and some of them have. Um, some of the coaching staff has, and, and to some degree, a great bit. So Connor and I were both watching the 2007 game separately, and Joe John Finley's in that game. You know, he's on the coaching staff. Obviously, Brent Venables has been a part of this coaching staff for a long time involved in this game with a pretty darn good success record. Um, DeMarco Murray. DeMarco's DeMarco had his time. DeMarco has had yeah. his time. Um, Beatenbo sure. has been in some great situations. This so, game is so... Um, you know, people a lot of times talk about momentum in football games, and this is one of those games where it really comes true. Yeah. There's massive momentum swings in this game. And how and you that's deal what with makes that. it so yeah. fun. It's one of the few games where I'll um, believe there is a such thing as momentum. I think most of the time momentum's a, a ephemeral, uh, overhyped bunch of nonsense, but in this game, it, it tends to be true that. The emotions play so much into it, and if you mess up or if you have success, you get the fans behind you. You just—I I think you can achieve things you otherwise couldn't achieve, um, and you can. We've seen it. We've seen OU lose in times they were clearly the better team. We have seen OU overcome obstacles and win when they were had no business winning. Uh, so, so things can happen for sure in this game. Yeah, and I think I think it's. At the end of the day, I mean, we're about to go through a full gambit of analysis, and you know, we've heard it in the week leading up uh, on TV, on the radio, on other podcasts. At the end of the day, when we walk into that Cotton Bowl and those those teams run out onto the field, in my opinion, and maybe this is why I am so optimistic, it's anyone's game at that point with yeah. this game. I mean, it's you can go through as much. I mean, we look back to the 2013 Texas had one win going into that game, I think, mm-hmm. and we're undefeated, I believe. And they completely stymie us. So, um, and that was a bad Texas team. And that yeah. was turned out to be an okay OU team, not a great one. Um, went on to win some games and lose some other games. But overall, once those teams walk out of that tunnel, I mean, it's an even playing field in my opinion. I don't think there's any anyone on the other side of the ball who is um, scared. And I don't think from our side we're, we're going to be intimidated whatsoever. That 2008 team was one of the best teams I've ever seen <coughs> offensively. And the defense was very good at that time, too. And somehow we lose that game. Well, you look at what Jay said with momentum. I mean, we're up 14-3 in that game, and Jordan Sh- uh, Shipley returns a p- uh, kick return, mm-hmm. and it completely turns that game on its head. Mm-hmm. And we end up on the in the L column. So it is – I I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. I mean, it's, there is nothing else in college football like you it. S- when you're describing that, Connor, it always comes back to me when I'm in that game, pregame, I'm yelling my head off. I'm being obnoxious. I'm, I'm kind of embarrassing myself, my family, and everyone else, but I'm hating Texas. I'm yelling at the band. 
I'm telling them who they are, and and then all of that set aside, the, the coin toss, the players take the field for the kickoff, and you're like, you just shut up and watch. And it's it's just, there's something about it that's so riveting and so uh, just nerve-wracking about what could happen here. And every time, I always say it any time it happens, where we happen to go up by whatever. If we in- initially get the 7-0 lead or 3-0 lead, or if we come back and we're up 10-3, I'll say, I will end the game right now and I'll be happy. I don't care. Even in those years, knowing that we're a much better team, take the W because yeah. anything can happen in that game. I've seen OU get beat so many times when they were clearly the better team. You just know that anything can happen. I do feel like OU is in a position that Texas has been in for the majority of the times when it was lopsided in my 40 years. This is my 40th. Um, goes back for it through a lot of eras. and but Especially OU, over the last 20 years. Well, yeah, definitely in the last 20 years, um, but I'd say in the entire 40 where um, most of the time you didn't feel like you're a team who has its, the doubters and you have everything to prove and yet you also have the tools in which to prove it. Usually OU is the one with the monkey on their back of, of some just take care of business. Right now we're, we're the dog and um, we're the dog more than just the six and a half points. If you look at ESPN, I think it's like 80, 85% have picked Texas. So the zeitgeist out there, they're all thinking that it's going to be Texas, that it's, they're the ones who beat Alabama and give them a lot of credit for that. They're the ones who, with an 8-5 and five record last year, not a great record, but they seem ascendant and they seem steps ahead, streets ahead of where we are. But to be honest, we have overcome that, I think. We've closed the gap, and I think we're going to give them a hell of a surprise. I sure hope so. We polled the audience and polled the, um, the Twitterverse out there four times this week. And for the latest updates, I don't know if they changed much. We asked about offense in a couple different ways and defense in a couple different ways. I want to run through that, and I think it was pretty telling and a pretty well-informed poll, if, if I say so, in terms of giving some credibility to those taking the, the, the poll and answering. I would tend to agree with the majority. We asked what facet of the offense has to be successful for OU to be successful in this game. What's most critical? And we narrowed it down to quarterback play versus run game. Run game, 62%. Quarterback pay, play, 38%. Both are obviously very important, but I think that keys in on something that's really important. And if you can't run the ball with dominance and at least effectiveness, you're going to have a real uphill battle. It doesn't mean you can't win the game, but it makes it really hard. And you had, you had something that you had said about that. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, it was a pretty basic stat that the team that's rushed more yards has won the game the last five seasons. That's probably not too uncommon in the world of football, but but it's important. In, I in think college when football, you extrapolate that even further, it's it's still something very significant yeah. of the last twenty plus years of, you know, it's yeah. at least like a seventy five percent benchmark for whoever leads in rushing wins this game. Yeah, and and you know it's got to be important because of two things. One is can you if you're running effectively, you're dominating the line of scrimmage, and you're also able to salt a game away which is something you have to do in this game. So many times when OU has won, they've won where Texas had a chance to come back. And it was keeping the ball away from them, getting the yardage that you had to get, the first downs you had to get to keep them off the field, and running when they knew you were going to run. Um, but you also just have to pick up those third and twos. It's all about third and two. So transitioning to that, we ask about which offensive unit is most important to be successful. And the, the majority said that the line, 67% said the O-line has to be successful. 
quarterback 21, running back 13, and wide receiver 0. So I think that's really well informed because even though the running game is real important, it's not the running back that has to succeed, it's the line. The offensive line has to open up holes as well as has to protect against uh, for the pass. And so if the line is playing well with the skills that we've got at all these positions, I think we can have a lot of success. And I, I think the 0% on wide receivers is true because they either will or will, will not be successful because of everybody else on that list. And our, especially with our guys, if, if our line can be successful and we get effective running and our quarterbacks being smart, our wide receivers are going to have some success. But the line is really the key there. Not to get too far off topic, but since you mentioned wide receivers, I believe it was Orange Bloods had a podcast like last week and they were going over OU's roster and their name and wide receivers. And they're like, who's... I've never even heard of Nick Anderson. And, or yeah. Nick Anderson. And they were just dogging on OU receivers. And That's ill-informed. Yeah, that's it's a, very ill-informed. doesn't watch football. It's, it's unbelievable because they're like recruiting analysts and someone yeah. like a Nick Anderson was <laughs> in their backyard. Yeah. And it's wild to me because, as we've said many times in this pod, we all thought the run game would be the most dominant part coming into the season, and we, we had question marks at receiver. And I would put our receiving group up against anybody in the country. I would, too. Yeah. Top to bottom. I mean, in fact, we're getting into that nice problem-to-have type of deal where you've got so many um, weapons, especially in the Iowa State game. We saw some guys showing up that just, wow, uh, you're, you're talking third, I mean, literally maybe third stringer that are incredible receivers, speed-wise, running the right routes. Now, they may not block, and they may not do everything you need them to do, but they provide a lot of depth in that position. So a lot of confidence there. That's pretty ill-informed by them not to at least give some respect to the fact that, look at the stats. You may not know the names. It's just ignorance. You ought to know, or it's, just, it's total bias that just, you're just making yeah, something up. And, and, like, yeah. We'll give our we'll give Ignorance the fueled with bi- we'll by gi- bias. I'll give the due to Texas. They've got a lot of talent yeah. on, that, on every side of the ball, on every... Every unit, they've got tons of talent. Um, I'm not going to say they're not talented by any means. Um, they, they're not all all American. And just because I can't name three of their Sooners. defensive linemen doesn't mean that I don't know that they're good up front. Right, yeah. right. I can get back to the offensive line. Um, I was really impressed. Gabriel, we all felt like that was his best game in an OU uniform last week. But a lot of what he did that he, I feel like he hasn't done a great job of is staying in the pocket. And even as it's coming around him, yeah. Even the little step up to, even if he's just going to dump it off, or, you know, hit the intermediate balls, it didn't seem like he got as happy footed and tried rolling out of every situation. He did a much better job of staying in the pocket and making yes. smart decisions. And if that is a sign of things to come, that's great for us. Yeah, poise in the pocket, which is key in a big game, any big game, and obviously this one. If he can maintain that, we're in really good shape. Um, if he doesn't, we could be in trouble really fast. If they're disruptive, if they can get into the backfield and cause him to get one-dimensional or cause him to get tunnel vision or happy feet, I, th- this could be a really ugly ball game. Um, it could be one where you're really depending on your defense and you're depending on some lucky breaks. Hopefully we don't have to depend on those, but you don't want to give lucky breaks away by making mistakes at quarterback for sure. But, yeah, no, we – there's every reason to have a lot of confidence in Gabriel. I mean, does sure. he does he press too much in this game because it's such a big mm-hmm. game? He didn't get to play in it last year. We've seen, I think, Baker lost his first OU Texas, right? Yes. And 15. First-year starters in this game have not Kyler, Kyler lost his first and only 
Cotton Bowl OU Texas game. He, I obviously won the Big 12 title against him. But Hurts won. Landry loses um, his first. Did Spencer lose his first one? Spencer won. Spencer won. But he got benched. Yeah, benched right before halftime. And then came back and played pretty well in the mm-hmm. second half. Um, Chris Sims lost. <laughs> yeah, Chris, Sim, Chris Sims Vin, lost. Vince Young lost. Yep. Uh, yeah. Ellinger lost. Ellinger lost. Yeah, um, it's Ewers won. It's, yeah, it's not against a, well the, against. Yeah. He, there was no opposing quarterback. Yeah. Applewhite <laughs> won, but he lost his next one pretty badly. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's tough for a first for a first time quarterback in this game. Just the sights and sounds and the pressure and the juice, like all of it together, can can be too much to handle. We we talked about that last pod a little bit about how this will be Dylan Gabriel's first OU Texas game. And it will be the biggest game of his career. Um, I, I don't think anything will even begin to approach it. No, I don't it. even think there's anything remotely close. Not even close. Like, if he thinks there is, he's, he's going to be very, very wrong. Um, if you're looking at, like, the Florida State game in the Cheez-It Bowl last year, that was not anything cl- That was actually sort of a freebie. You weren't expected it, it to be very good uh, in that Oh, you wasn't expected to be very good. And and yet he did play well, so yeah. And that's a that's a game too where, you know, he goes into that. There's all you have to lose at that point is the bowl game, right? I mean, right. is is the score itself, and you're looking to establish momentum going into the offseason. I think more so than anything else. This is this game for him. I mean, this sets the tone for the entire rest of the season. I mean, by by no means if if OU goes and loses this game or. Are they out of any sort of uh, conference championship talks or anything else like that? Oh, the same goes for Texas, obviously. ESPN has us at 70% to make the playoff right. if we win this game. Yeah, so I mean... And, and still 30% if we if don't. We lose, right. But so it's, But I think it's going to be a very, very defining moment. And, and maybe, it, maybe it just completely exposes Dylan Gabriel for who he is as a quarterback, whether that's a positive exposure or a negative exposure, right? I mean, It's true. It probably shape, shapes him up. It's definitely a, a legacy-type game because... Oh, um, absolutely. Depending on what the rest of the season looks like, of course, but if, if he can come out and win this game, people will remember him, and mm-hmm. if he loses and we lose two more games... Dylan Gabriel will be an afterthought. Stepping stone he'll he'll be yeah, that's really true. And you know, we sh- we talked about his m- kind of poison moxie in this last game, and I think he'll come out with really positive moxie if he wins this game. He'll be he'll be walking with some big strides, and rightfully so. If he doesn't, and like you say, that we struggle in a few more games, you're going to be one of those quarterbacks that goes down in history, like um, you know, a Hibble and a lot of other guys that that we're talented that just couldn't get us over the hump and that we're a little disappointed in. And I and I say that as much about it shapes what OU season's going to look like as much as it does Dylan Gabriel. And um, you're just one player in an entire team and an entire organization, but you're really the key to a lot of it. Um, and rightfully or wrongfully, you're not going to get a lot of grace as a what is he, a ninth-year senior <laughs> or whatever. Um, he's played a lot of college football. He's not a true freshman. He's not someone where you can say, well, it was tough. It is his first OU Texas game, and yet he is a super senior or whatever with a you know COVID year of extra eligibility at, at most in front of him. And not to continue down the rabbit hole, but I know you got a couple other players no, that we did, but I think it's so imperative, this game, and I, I am glad that 
I'm glad that he was down there on the sideline at least for half the game last year. I know we went up to the we went up to the press box uh, for the second half. I think with the offensive coordinators in that group. Um, I hope it does bode well. Just him having been around the environment at least for a, a year, whether it was a, a you know fake warm up or whatever you want to call it that he did. Um, but it's going to be so important in that first drive that we have the ball for Jeff Levy to give him successful confidence building plays to settle him in and and honestly if it's me I hope I hope Gabriel is backed up on that Texas in that first drive backed up in terms of on the 20 or 25 to start the game to say this is how it's going to be I'm going to let you get these couple of short routes or whatever we're going to do and then I want you I want you to take over as a quarterback I want you to say I've got the confidence that everyone's been saying Dylan Gabriel has going into the season and and throughout these first five games. Um, so it's going to be really, really important for Jeff Levy to sit there and establish that for him because I think without that initial confidence, I and mean, we saw we saw two years ago Spencer Rattler, I think Riley was throwing a lot at him up front. I don't think Rattler knew how to handle it. And given he wasn't getting a lot of protection up front, but um, initially, and Texas was dialing a lot up, you need to keep Gabriel off the ground and you need to have positive plays in that first one or two drives to settle in. Hey, make sure you're on real quick. <laughs> Dude. Did I flip it off? Is it off? It is off. I'll turn it on. No, I turned it on. You turned, you turned it off. I'm sure it's... Um, apologies for the, the Connor's uh, audio. It's going to be a little echoey up until then. He has a lot of good points. But I'm, I'm, I know we picked you up. But, uh, yeah, you had flipped your mic off. When did I flip it off? Well, I don't know. All right. But Here we go. Um, maybe when you were doing all that anti-Texas stuff. Yeah, a apologies ago. for that. Yeah. Um, but those are, the, I think those are really good points. And um, I, I hope that Mike picked you up. If they didn't, they were the best points I ever heard. Um, if we didn't, we'll just cut all my stuff out and <laughs> you'll have more work. I apologize. So moving on to some other poll results, um, when you look at the defensive questions, we said what defensive facet in terms of defense do we have to have success so defense against the deep ball time in the pocket or the run game time in the pocket was the narrow winner plurality 42 percent of the votes run game 38 deep ball 21 and I think that's pretty appropriate I mean if we can be disruptive and and keep that time in the pocket down to a minimum make uh, ewers one-dimensional that is going to be a real key, and at the same time, if you can stop them from running the ball, you're going to see success. The deep ball is sort of secondary, but still important. If they're able to hit big plays against us, that's going to, that can uh, make a great series go for naught because you hold them to a, a third and ten, and all of a sudden they hit a 60-yard pass against you. Uh, it doesn't matter a whole lot. You're in trouble. So that, I, I think that was appropriate. And then in terms of defensive unit, um, line success on the defense, 65%. Defensive backfield, 26%. Linebackers, 10%. And maybe that's a little reflection on where we think our strengths are with Stutzman and what the linebackers have done. Linebacker is such a key role, but being able to dominate that line of scrimmage on the D-line is going to be real important and real important for that back to time in the pocket in the run game. Uh, so I don't think I have any dispute with the voters there. I think both of them, both of those polls really reflect 
reality of what we should do. Any thoughts on any of I that? I think I voted corners on that one mainly because of how the Iowa State game went. I mean, DBs, the, including corners yeah, specifically. Yeah, yeah. The, the two busts um, on on the two big Iowa State touchdowns put us in a hole. I mean, it was 21-20 a minute into the second quarter, and four, you know that 14 of that was two plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, what was the stat? They had three plays that totaled like 167 yards or something like that. And then from that point forward, through the rest of the game, that were they 93 yards or yeah, something like 90, that? Yeah, after they scored their 20th point, um, 93 total yards the rest of the game. I mean, that's incredible. But so that's through what, 30, what would we say, 39 minutes of a, game time? A team like day? Texas, you can't give up two huge plays or, or three plays with yeah. 167 yards or whatever the number was um, early in the game because, one, we talked about momentum, but also – if you haven't scored like we did against Iowa State to start that game, you could be in a huge hole right off the bat. And, hard to overcome. And it's hard to overcome. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny, again, I'm going to look at it with a biased point of view. It's like OU mistakes do not get forgiven in this game. If you have a bust at cornerback, it they will not drop that ball. It will be a touchdown. If, if, we have a, you know, if there's an opportunity in front of us, it seems like we'll make the mistake. And, and just like I'm going to have a bias to look back over many years and say that I can remember every time I feel like, oh, you got screwed by the refs, and I'm sure there were opportunities and things that got that happened in OU's favor officiating-wise, but it sure seems like the breaks go to Texas. It's like you have to really and, – and I don't know. There's some – I'm not the only one who sees it this way. You talk – you look at Switzer and the things he always said. He said, this is not a neutral game. <laughs> this is played in the state of Texas. We are in the Texas State Fair. Um, you are surrounded by Texas people. We go down into Texas to play this game. And I feel it when I just go to restaurants and when I go to, go to the convenience stores or wherever I'm at around this game, when you go in the road signs are the stupid uh, go Longhorns beat the Sooners. Yeah. Um, don't mess with Texas. Don't mess with Texas and all that crap. But they'll have the graphic that shows how long and how many miles it is. And uh-huh. Norman is... 12 miles closer than Austin, or where the BS number they always show. I think it's three. But but it's definitely in Texas. Or six, yeah. Last it's very much in Geographically. Texas. Yeah, and it, you definitely feel it. It's funny, though, not to get off on fan stuff too much, but all that said, I think we travel better, we root better, we show up better. I, I, I know from my history, OU seems more engaged as a fan base before the game, Friday night before the game. And I've been in every environment you can be in down there. And... OU fans are more passionate about it, and OU fans show up earlier. They, they will be in the crowd sooner than the Texas fans will. And I hope that is true this game, and the reason I bring it up is, painfully, we have to talk about the fact that Texas won 49-0 last year, and they beat Alabama this year. They're riding high. We've got a lot to prove, whereas they're out there potentially resting on their laurels, both as a fan base and as a program. Not that I'm counting on that, but I think that is really a headwind to them that we don't face. I don't think there's any lack for motivation on the OU Sooner side. I can imagine Brent Venables is in there telling them, with everybody listening attentively, you guys have a lot to prove, and you've got every reason to be mad, and you want to avenge just your pride, and you want to go out there and you want to actually look good in what you've done. You know, I have not seen a single quote fan on Twitter or social media for Texas that is even like remotely scared of this game. Yeah. They're not worried at all about this game. I love it. That's a dangerous place to be as a program if Agreed. that's the way your program feels. 
because you know you've got to be. Well, and I, I was listening to a couple things this week, and the the forty nine zero. I think as as much as maybe the the team and the players and the coaches might downplay the bulletin board stuff and are just saying we're focusing on this week and we're looking at Saturday. Um, it sounds like the forty nine zero was somewhat of a rallying cry over the off season, and then you bet your ass in that locker room this week and at practice this week. You've got coaches saying, "Are you good enough to beat to to get back from that forty nine to zero? Are you good enough to to redeem yourself here?" Um, and using that not necessarily as the bar, but I mean, let's all be honest. Regardless if we're down a quarterback or not, last year forty nine zero in any circumstance is remarkably embarrassing. Super and and so it's one you don't forget. It's one you don't forget. And when you wear the OU, and this is sounds super super just OU nationalist, but when you wear the the OU on your chest and the Sooners across your chest, that you don't live that down easily. And that should be something that you look back on and this team needs to look back on and say, never again. Like, it, it should be a never again type of moment. Yeah, I think so for sure. Well, let's talk about some concerns we've got. Um, talk about a little bit of what might happen so that if OU were to struggle in this game, what, what, what concerns do you have that would, would bring that about? Um, I'll throw out one, and that's quarterback. We've been touching on it. Um, do if if Gabriel has a a bad game, this could be a real ugly Saturday for us. Um, there's a number of ways that things don't have to go according to plan, if you will. They could get us off of script, um, and and that could be that could be really troubling. Uh, do you think they make a change at quarterback in any? way if it needs to ha- like what does it take for them to make a change at quarterback it has to be as bad as it was when Caleb came in down minimal. remarkably minimal and not just down but ineffective inept yeah offensively that's Which the only way I can you can't count it. on one of the greatest comeback comebacks ever so yeah. I don't know how to quanti- I mean honestly I don't know how to quantify it with, with even that like I don't because, A, you, if we're down like that, like we were in 2021, uh, we're not coming back in this game, regardless right. of who you put in. You never I mean, think you could bring back, back like that. You could yeah. bring back Baker Mayfield. You have a fighting chance, but this Texas team is good enough where um, I don't think you come back from that. I think it would take something very drastic, like a 28-point deficit, and we've basically written the game off as a loss and saying, all right, Jackson, this is – it's time to get you some reps. Mm-hmm. Um, or, obviously, you know, I, I think, worst-case scenario, it's an injury. And I, I think it's so funny if you draw the, if you draw the parallel with uh, maybe just the team and how we feel about this team. It's such a similar storyline with Dylan himself. Yeah. Like, we are going to really see what this team is with – we're really going to see what this team is after this game and, and the kind of trajectory we're on. Really think the same thing with Dylan Gabriel. Like, is Dylan Gabriel for real? Is everyone who's hyping him up and is latching on to these statistics in this uh, campaign that he's gone on in these first five games, this quote-unquote dominance, um, is it real? Or is it this smoke that we've been lo- trying to look through 
and we're we're going to discover the truth on on the negative side after Saturday. I hope that's not the case, but it's very similar to how I feel about the team. Is the team legit? Um, I'm hoping he turned the corner in the Iowa State game. Um, he, he he had that chip on his shoulder that I don't remember seeing in any other game. Um, yeah. He obviously Arkansas State. He played fantastic. We blew him out. He struggled a little bit against SMU. Tulsa. He looked awesome again. Then Cincinnati was kind of a mixed bag, but um, the Iowa State game, it just looked like the team was rallying around him. He had the two rushing touchdowns. One, he bowled the guy over. That got everybody going. Um, so He looked different. He, he looked different, and I hope that's a sign of things to come. Um, and as a bunch of guys who have been sitting here criticizing him for five and a half weeks, to be able to say that, I mean, I – like like we've said, I want to be the one to eat my words at the end of the day, but Dylan Gabriel looked different during the Iowa State game, and I'll be the first one to say it. And, Lucas, to your point, the chip on the shoulder, the plays that he was making, and the moxie in which he was carrying himself with, I, that's got to be good signs going into this week specifically. Now can you carry that over into a performance that we need to get us over the top, beating an elite-level team in the biggest game of your career? Yeah, and I think all of us are alluding to in terms of concerns what maybe perhaps as a fan base we're feeling and this is definitely something i am worried about in the back of my mind are we for real when we're waiting for that other shoe to drop that it's another uh, reversal like we saw after the nebraska game last year not like we're going to fall off that far but that we yes we're on a new plateau but that plateau is really far below where we think we are and where we need to be to have the success that, that we're after. And it starts with what we can do offensively for sure. I have a lot more confidence in where we are defensively. Last year it definitely, I don't think I at any point didn't realize it was a work in process. I just thought it was coming along farther and faster than it was. I wasn't appreciating the lack of depth and the fact that as the season played out, we weren't gonna have that depth to maintain and even build on what we had. Now I feel like it's a little fearful that offense won't have that and so the other concern I have is in the running game is the running game going to come alive it needs to be better than it is we need to have more of a true running back rotation that is clear hopefully clear one two if not um, a couple guys competing for that position and I want us to be in the running game the way I want to way I believe we are in the receiving core where the receivers are it doesn't matter next man up anybody can do that job if we're effectively blocking and effectively running, then then we're able to have a lot of success there. One of you guys put out um, or had shared a screenshot where um, someone was analyzing at least one of the plays with Marcus Major running against Iowa State, and he makes the wrong cut. And he makes the cut to the outside of Stoops. The, the, the blocking is tremendous, but he makes the cut outside towards the sidelines instead of going inside. And inside probably gets five or six more yards, and five or six more yards is a world of difference against Texas. It may not matter against Iowa State, but it's a world of difference in the long run in the big scheme of things. And for a really good running back, going back to watching that game against um, Texas in 2007 with DeMarco Murray especially, they were running the ball inside and he was taking cuts and hitting it, hitting somebody and busting off of him and, and continuing down the field. Those guys don't, it's not touch. They have to tackle you. You don't have to run away from them. You can try to break a tackle. And we need to have running backs that are seeing the right opportunity and say this is, yes, I'm going to get hit on this one versus I can get outside and maybe 
have a chance, but you're not going to have unhuman, inhuman-like speed. You're not going to hit the corner and be able to go 70 miles an hour. So you need to just go up the middle, make a guy make a tackle, and if he doesn't make that tackle, then things can really start to happen. And that's maybe my bold prediction for this game. I mean, we, we talked about it in the post-game a little bit, um, how we've seen running backs become dudes in this game and have started solidifying themselves as the as the guy for OU. I, I think if we are going to have success in the running game, this is Gavin Sawchuk's game to do that. Um, I, and we, we, like, we keep alluding to the game we watched the other night just because of recency, but you look back at that 07 game, DeMarco Murray was third on the depth chart with uh, the carries behind uh, Chris Brown and uh, Alan, Patrick. Alan Patrick. And Those again... slouches themselves. Exactly. Not bad running backs by any means. Marcus Major, not a bad running back by any measure. Um, we'll see if Javante's he uh, healthy, I guess, this week. But I think if Sawchuck can get in there, rattle off a couple of big runs, and then I, th I think all he needs is just a little bit to get going, and I think he has the ability to take a game over. It's just like we saw in the Florida State game, the bowl game last year. The, the kid... He just runs different. He runs different than any of the guys we have, and I think he has that explosiveness that nobody else on that in that room has. And I think uh, I want him to be able to show that, and I think this is his breakout game. He becomes that running back, that RB1 type of guy, um, if we are to get that victory. I think this is Tommy Walker's game. Um, I think he's the best pass blocker. Um, he has the most bowling ball type ability. To break tackles, um, falls forward. He falls forward, and every yard or two matters. Um, and when he gets was, hit, he gets a yard or two. I was more. disappointed not just in that play that Major had, but also um, how what game was was that we were going towards the south end zone, and he missed a block. I Major missed a block. Yeah, I mean, when yeah, Dylan got hit for about. a fumble. Oh, yeah, right. that was at Cincinnati, wasn't it? Yes. Um, yeah, he just completely misses his assignment. Gabriel loses the ball on the five six yard line, whatever it was. So I think Walker is the best. He's he's not the fastest guy, but I think he is going to do the most damage on just racking up six and eight yard runs. It just it has to be at minimum enough that Texas can't just say, okay, our front six or front seven has a run, we're good. Like we have to make them commit more people to the box a little bit or some of the time and allow us our receivers to get over the top and behind them. Um, it has to be just good enough. It doesn't have to be great, but it's got to be better than what we've been doing. This is a big on-schedule game for me. Um, you don't want second and eight and third and sevens mm -hmm. all day long. Mm -hmm. You want second and four. You want third and twos. You want those kind of things because those will open up great passing opportunities because they're expecting you to throw the ball. I mean, you're expecting to run the ball in a third and two, or second and four, they're like, oh, they're gonna they're gonna try to run the ball and pick us up. But those are the best times to really hit them when they're not expecting it with intermediate routes or even the deep ball. And if if you're taking a lot of major, you know, getting two yards on first down, then it's second and eight. You're not on schedule anymore, and that that can be really bad crowd wise because they're gonna be hyped up that they only get up two yards on a run, hmm. or you know, it's third and seven. They're gonna be going crazy. But if it's third and two. I feel like that's your best opportunity is to be, to be doing what you want to do game plan-wise. That's a really good point. I think this is, both with our running 
blocking our running backs to this at, at this date and the style of offense so far that we've run overall it is more of a we need to be effective not overpowering in other years you relied on the running back for the home run play and the home run threat and it'd be great if that comes but we're not there right now i look back a long time ago to guys who had a lot of success in this game like james allen and he was not going to be a breakaway speedster but he was a very effective running back um gerald moore was another one of the same time frame and those were offenses that not even are close to the offenses of today but when they won and when when we had great performances out of those guys it was by getting chunk yardage but not breakaway game-changing yardage adrian peterson joe mixon those guys had just game-changing type of yardage we just need to have effective running game um, i like what you say about keeping it on schedule just get the yardage when you need it get the three and four yard gains in a third and two situation, the defense has to be honest in those situations. If they know that you can run the ball, then they have to prepare for everything versus sell out against what they knowing knowing you're going to pass because you're struggling to get two yards. Um, so if you see us like get a, an eight yard gain in second and two, and then we run and get stopped at the line of scrimmage for third and two, if that's the course of the game, then you're kind of one dimensional and, so, and it becomes very difficult. And the difference is, can you pick up two yards? Can you get four yards versus are you going to get stopped in the backfield? That's everything. We're not asking you to go 50 yards on that run. So that's probably what we need. That's the most, that's a reasonable ask for sure. Um, it, and if, if they can have a breakout game, that's great. I think Salchuk and Barnes, to a degree, are the breakout type of dominating, going to take it the house. And you look down and say, oh my God, they, we rushed for 280 yards in this game. But if you can just get an effective 200 yards in the game that you, you look up and you're surprised that you got that much just because you got it in these chunks, that could be a very successful ball game for us. Well, thinking about that, when, how do you think Levy's going to call this game? What do you think he's going to do in, in, with differences or anything in regards to how he's done so far? I'm hoping that we have more four-wide personnel. I mean, the strength of our team is passing, even though we just got done talking about how important the run game is. You can use aspects of your of your quick passing game as an extension of your run game, and I think um, Stogner's been fairly ineffective this entire season so far. That experiment to me has run its course. I don't think one more game, especially versus Texas, is gonna somehow uh, spark Stogner's game so to speak. Seems to be the one thing that most of the fan base and most of the media are agreed upon, that Stogner's not an, an exceptionally effective weapon. I mean, if you if you go with our starters of Andre Anthony, Stoops, and Farouk, if you told me, like, hey, should we have more Nick Anderson or more Gavin Freeman Jake versus... Gibson. Yeah, Gibson versus Stogner. I mean, I just... I don't even know how you sit in a room with a bunch of coaches and come up with that game plan. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I just I just hope we spread the ball effectively. Give Dylan, as Lucas had uh, alluded to earlier, confidence building passes early on that then extend into to deeper balls. So and my fear, see if I'm off base on this, is that we go into this a, a little concerned about the Texas defensive line. We we have a Stogner in there. We almost are running a max protect. We don't have a lot of receiver options for him and we get bottled up with that um 
it's kind of like you're playing into their strength if you do it. Whereas if you spread it out a little bit more and, and make them cover the field um, and get the ball out quickly if you have to, that's the best way to attack this. And there's, I mean, I obviously don't do any of the, the grading of film for the team, but it's not like he's been some exceptional blocker where you're like, well, at least he does one thing really great, and so let's leave him in, give him extra protection like he said. He's not even blocking well either. It's yeah. just it's just a complete liability on for this team, in my opinion. And this is a game, like you were talking about, the extension of the run game by just short passes. Farouk is a guy that can make people miss. And on some of those plays where it's essentially just a wide receiver screen, if you've got Drake with a great seal block, Farouk can cut it in. And if he makes the one guy that's covering him miss, and the safeties are either back or they're playing the run on the other side of the field, I mean, that's the guy that can take it to the house with two moves. So, you know, we, we thought Petaway might, after we saw him early in the season, do those type of, you know, short passes and be able to do stuff with the ball. But um, Farouk seems like that's his bread and butter. Do you think there's a chance that we're hiding the Petaway? Um, plays and that this is a game that comes out? No, I don't think so. I think there's going to be some stuff though, some wrinkles that we haven't seen. I mean, and maybe that's an obvious statement, but I think there's going to be some stuff that Lebby has dialed up that it's going to boil down to whether or not our offense can execute it, maybe more importantly whether or not Dylan Gabriel has the patience and the poise to execute it. Um, we ran a flea flicker the very first play against Iowa State. I mean, I think if we have a secret <laughs> weapon, it's it's going to be Brennan Thompson. Yeah, with a lot of speed and not a lot of film on the guy. If anything, he just <laughs> takes not a lot the top of film off. on the guy, except for the entire year that he played at Texas <laughs> yeah. and practiced at Texas. Yeah, well, they're going to have a little still. bit of film on Brennan <laughs> Thompson. <laughs> I, you know, yes and no. You know, they didn't. They weren't real effective with him. And uh, yeah, he didn't get a shot, yeah. but he was behind. A couple of really but good I receivers. Think, I think, but I mean, just I think they know them. a guy's going to be a receiver. But if they see him lined out out there, they're not like scared. They're not like thinking, "Well, wait, overload that side." No, but I think they know what he is, and if you use that against them, even if you're not going to use him, you simply take defenders away from where you are going to go because mm-hmm. he is fast enough that. You have to have a safety on his side. You absolutely have to over the mm-hmm. top. There is not a corner that's going to keep up with him. So by default, if you can take a safety out of the play just because he's on the field, whether you're going to throw to him or not, mm-hmm. that's that could be part of the scheme. I mean, can you imagine? How, I mean, having him on one side because you also have to. You also got to account for an Andre Anthony on the yep. other side. And, yep. and Texas poses a similar problem with their two. Right premier wide receivers right so yeah. our safety play and our, our our maybe even some of the intermediate play that we have is going to come in to to play very quickly as well on that side of the ball but I mean I, to your point to have weapons like that again I mean we keep talking about it but it's so crazy the conversations we're having to say oh my gosh look at all the weapons we have in that wide receiver room and we had no idea what that was going to look like going into the season and going into this game could be what makes us you know potentially the better offensive team, in my opinion. Chalk this up as a concern. I'm going to contrast a little bit, and I think it's an unfair comparison, so I, I, I say it with a caveat. I have not been impressed with Levy's trick plays, and every time he's tried to integrate any kind of a trick play, it seems to fall flat. And sometimes there's been games like the Texas game last year where it seemed like they had to rely on a lot of trick, trick plays, so maybe you throw that out. 
But in a lot of things he's done, it just it leaves me uninspired. They don't seem to have been very successful. I, con I contrast that with Lincoln Riley. And it seemed like Lincoln Riley could never fail with a trick play that he'd dr draw up, um, whether it be the direct snap to the, the running back or anything you do. And, and yeah, it's not fair. When you've got Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and you're doing flea flickers and all kinds of things, the field opens up for you in a lot of ways. I hope that we don't rely on trick plays, but it could be the case that success in some of those will, will be a make or break for us. Um, I would like for us not to have to rely on trick plays or any kind of gimmetry, but if we do go to those, they at least need to be somewhat effective. They don't have to be home runs, but if they get blown up back to momentum, it seems like the kind of thing where it can really fizzle for you. And I think those players, they're definitely running some stuff right now in practice where they're thinking, oh, wow, if we get an opportunity, we're doing this, and look how successful it could be. And if it doesn't work, it puts you off script and in a weird position on second down or whenever it happens to be to then try to uh, regather yourself and get your offense rolling where they've completely thwarted the thing you threw at them that you thought was going to be something to catch them off guard. I hope we don't do too much of that trying to catch them off guard stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, Lincoln was so good at just causing chaos in the defense from a body's perspective, just put it, getting guys out of position with misdirection and, and with running guys in certain routes to open up another route. And you do have to hope that there's some wherewithal and, and from Levy's experience, he knows how to do the same thing, especially when it comes to things that are not plays that you just are, are vanilla, run-of-the-mill base offense plays, right? Stuff, mm -hmm. plays, that, plays that can turn this game on its head and can cause that chaos and shift that momentum that we were talking about earlier. So shifting to the other side of the ball, Brent Venables and Ted Roof, how do they call this game? What, what do they dial up um, in terms of creativity as well as just what's their, what's their basic strategy, what they're trying to do? Absolute chaos. I think... Um, Aggression? With, with the defensive line, um, what word am I looking for? Just the, so many different body types and athletic abilities that we have on the front with, you know, Trace Ford, PJ, Bothroyd, the big guys in the middle, you know, you got uh, Ko, um, Lalu's really had a great couple of games uh, getting pressure from the inside too, um, that it, it frees up Kanik and Stutzman to make plays, especially in the run game, filling gaps and stuff like that. And if you can, Ewers, in my opinion, when he's got a clean pocket, dude is dynamite. But he, he's been one that he gets a little, not necessarily scared, but anxious and does stupid things with the ball sometimes. And if we can cause even a couple of those in the first half, you could get two turnovers and it's then all the momentum's on your side if you can do something after Including the just a, a forced punt deep in territory, which is effectively a turnover yep. if you can flip the field that way. I, I, I want to see aggression. I'd like to see maybe, uh, I don't know, P.J. stand up like a Dan Cody or something. Remember the way he would swing Dan Cody around that was just so disruptive. The first year against Vince Young, um, corner blitzes and things that just were completely disruptive. Um, I really look to see a lot of that type. And I think it's going to take that. I think you've got to do that kind of stuff um, against an offense like this in a game like this, especially with the tools you've got. You might as well throw a lot of things at them. Um, you take a few chances, and you can take chances when you've got guys you can depend on. And we've got a lot of guys, with 11 guys out there, you can depend on all those guys. Not like, oh my gosh, this is going to put our safety on an island that I don't think he can actually 
do enough to, if everything doesn't work, that it's absolutely disaster. Yeah, that interior line is, is going to be a really important thing to establish to make viewers uncomfortable in the pocket. And to Lucas's point, I mean, you can draw a similar parallel to Dylan Gabriel. I mean, get him, get him uncomfortable in the pocket and get him moving around where he makes an uninformed throw because this year we have the DBs and the, the linebackers in a lot of cases who can go up and make a play on the ball. We're leading the country in interceptions. I mean, we've, yeah. got, we've got 10 interceptions already five games into the year, and we've had years where we had three interceptions for the whole season. It's insane. And they're the most forced interceptions. I say it every time. They're the most forced interceptions you can get. Yeah. We're creating those interceptions. They're not falling in our lap. They're uh, not tip balls that we're running not, under. They're not weird, funky stuff. A guy's not doing something just totally stupid. You go, why, why did he do that? We are playing where everybody is together and everybody's responsible for that interception. So that's a real positive. I'd like to see us doing more of that. And if we can create situations like that, we're going to see a lot of success on Saturday. If we can't, trouble. On the, on the flip side of that, I think Sarkeesian's going to target two players to try and confuse most, and that's going to be Desan McCullough and Kanik. Because Kanik is, he plays a lot like Stutzman did last year. Very athletic, um, runs downhill, he's fast, but not always where he's supposed to be. Can be confused, can hit the wrong gaps. And McCullough is still learning to cover. Yeah. And if he's relied upon too much to either cover... Um, Wheel routes or yeah. double moves, you know, tight that, ends. that could be a yep. problem for us defensively. Tight ends are strength for them. I could see that running back, uh, wheel routes, secondary moves, um, all that as a, a strategy to get McCullough out in space. And I wouldn't be surprised either to see um, if either one struggles that. early, mm-hmm. that there's a quick change because mm-hmm. there's just not enough, just not enough time in this game to. Right. Like, hey, maybe let's build on this next series and see how you do it. We can't do that. Like, we've got to have somebody that's, that's, even if it's a uh, Kip Lewis who's an mm-hmm. undersized, maybe you shouldn't be playing at this spot right now. If you're going where you're supposed to go and you're not going to be confused, then fine. And if we rot- rotate someone down into that safety spot, whether it's a, a Bowen or a Pearson or somebody else, we have essentially three safeties on the field. If that's what we have to do, that's what we have to do. Because uh, those plays could be, like I said, Sarkeesian draws up very good plays. It's very Lincoln-Riley-ish on getting his players open and in space and confusing the team with different shifts and stuff like that. And another thing that is better about this defense than we've had in over a decade is the solo tackling. Mm. Gentry on an island against a guy, you know, he's, he's made a bunch of plays in the backfield when they throw those quick outs to the receiver. He makes that play, uh, I want to say 10 times out of 10. I don't remember him missing one this year. Um, Pearson is another guy that on those short passes that he seems like he can come up and, and nail a receiver and nobody's getting past him one-on-one. And that's something we really haven't seen for the last decade or so with, this, with, this, with our defense. That's really true, and, and you don't have to – just look back at history you can look at USC today and you watch them play in the games that they play we watched a lot of USC for you know hate watching and we see missed tackles we see guys that are on an island and just get it's like they're not even trying to bring a guy down so even when we've had a situation where a guy doesn't truly bring a guy down 
it is a containment until the gang tackle arrives, and then everybody's there to finish the play. Um, not like where a guy breaks a tackle and he's gone on you. And what's interesting, too, with that is um, sometimes you might think a missed tackle is just a missed tackle, but you can actually miss the tackle in a better way of missing right. the tackle that right. leads them into the teeth of your defense. Right. Right. Now like where if you, you want to position If them. there's a swing pass coming around and you miss a tackle to the inside and you give them the sideline, that's three, four more steps that everyone has to make up. Right. If you miss a tackle but you're to the outside of him, he has to cut in yep. to juke you, at least he's coming back into yep. where the rest of your team is. We, we seem to have been really good at that so far this year of knowing when to do which versus the other. So use the sideline as a defender when you can and when you should, and at the other times, redirect them towards the inside of the field, and then all of a sudden, and that's probably why Stutzman has as many tackles as he has, is because he's there on that inside, and he's there to help. I think we've done a better job this year of pushing people out of bounds. Yes. If they're within you know, a yard of the sideline, instead of just trying to you know, do a big hit or tackle them down low and hope you get gang tackling to help finish it, just shove them out of bounds, because a up. lot of times, that's the better option. Yep. Um, because, yeah, you gave up seven yards on that pass, but you push him out of bounds as opposed to trying to fly and make a tackle and the guy cuts in and gets five or six more yards. So I don't know if that's a coaching thing. I would think it is. Yeah. But and it also seems not to dog former defensive players in the last five years, but it seems like our guys want to hit more. And mm-hmm. it, it doesn't seem like but they stand. for the sake of hitting. They don't stand there and wait for the – for the offensive player to come towards right. them, they go make they're the trying to go play. downhill at all times and make the make the play. Yeah, I've seen that on the any of the swing passes, the, the different um, things where when a team tries to get a ball out to a guy in the flats in space with a couple of blockers up there, that first guy through just blows everything up. Yeah, and blows it up in a way that's constructive. Even if he doesn't completely make the tackle, it turns the the advantage to OU, and all of a sudden they are on their back foot and trying to establish something versus getting their footing two or three steps into it where now a guy desperately has to make a tackle. Well, getting off their blocks. Like, Gentry yes. does a really good job of shrugging that wide yep. receiver off of them. Yep. I mean, Gentry looks, Gentry looks like a guy that LSU has had for the last uh, that's two point. decades. Yeah. He looks like a guy that if he continues on the path he's on now, he's a first-round draft pick because he's got the size, yep. he's got the smarts, and he's got the aggressiveness that he wants to make that tackle as opposed to just sitting back and – letting the guy run towards him and just trying to bring him down mm-hmm. just to do it. That may be something that, I mean, obviously there's a lot of optimism as we're talking and, and everything that we've seen and everyone else talks about with this defense. A lot of optimism, but as this game goes on, we may feel like we're in a game in a different way than we've always felt like we're in this game. We always felt like this in, we're in this game in the past few years of our offense can score. Um, whereas now I feel like we're in a position where it's going to be tough for them to score. We can put our offense in a position to have a, a chance at it, and it's not like, oh, boy, I, I sure hope we can score because we're, we're in a tough spot. Um, so let me talk about expectations a little bit, and not to we'll get to our pr- score predictions in a second, but we're six-and-a-half-point underdogs, and so the question becomes, is a close win tolerable? How would we feel I – mean, I'm sorry, a close loss tolerable? Um, how would we – feel about a, a game where OU maybe covers the spread but still loses the game? Is there a moral victory to be had? Yeah, I think so. I think, uh, I mean, I'd even go as far to say as like a, 
I think a two-score game is um, it's painful, but I think it's tolerable. I think I think it still indicates a, a trajectory in the right direction. I guess it depends on the composition of the game. It does. I mean, if it's a yeah, that's fair. But I, I to your question specifically, yeah, I think I would I would tolerate it just with the sense of if we looked good doing it. If we look good doing it, and if this Texas team affirms that they are a good team, like everyone says they are, and that even the four of us here think they are, right? Um, I think it'd be you'd be hard pressed to to find someone who says it's intolerable. I mean, at that point, you're saying it's it's win or bust, right? So, right. but and that's that's different than what we would have said in many other years, obviously. But we have to be a little realistic in those expectations. I still think I mean this this team is as good as they've looked. Like there, there's still something to prove here, right? I mean, I still mm-hmm. think there is a reality check that we're going to get in two days, and it can go positive it can go negative or it can maybe be maybe this just team is what it is through these first five games and we're going to go and win we're going to get that that 10 and 2 record that some of us are predicting and it's it just kind of is in past years the OU Texas game once they joined the conference or we teamed up in the same conference it became the absolute trajectory of where your season was going to go because back in the old north south split you lose the Texas game which was awful and then now you're behind the eight ball, whereas today you can still get back in the hunt for everything, um, and maybe more so than in any other year. Like in 2008, uh, 2018, we definitely felt like we wanted to win that game, could have won that game. Uh, we're very frustrated by how that game went, and of course it results in Mike Stoops no longer being our defensive coordinator. And we took a lot of positives out of that. Um, and that feels like an intolerable loss right there, right? Yeah, but yet then we still got back into the hunt for it all and knew that we could. I think more so this year, if we can have a very competitive game, you almost, and I don't believe this, but you dare to say that it's a better situation if you're on the right trajectory because then in the, in the rematch, you maybe got the advantage. It, assuming a rematch in the in the conference title game, now. I say that's what it is for me. Um, not having the divisions anymore and seeing how the rest of the league is down, most of us and most everybody can see an OU Texas rematch. So I think whichever team loses this Saturday, it's as it's disappointing, but it's not the end of the world because I do think there's going to be a rematch and a one loss team still has pretty much everything to look forward to still. No no doubt about it. We want to win the game. Nobody's yeah, saying we exactly. want to lose the game. But, yeah. It, I think it's more tolerable for me only because there's not divisions anymore. Maybe more tolerable um, from the standpoint of OU versus Texas, too, because the impetus is on them to win the game. If we don't win the game, well, we did what we're – if we are close, we did what we were supposed to do. And I agree with you with your um, trajectory because I've always kind of looked at this as – um, Sarkeesian's got a one-year head start on Brent, but I think that Brent is closing the gap on that time with our development and recruiting. If well, Texas if Texas loses this game, it's a lot more impactful for, to them than it is to us. Yeah, I absolutely. Think you're right. I mean, I, I think if we lose this game and lose it, if you want to call it respectably or respectfully. Um, if Texas loses this game by respectively, well, right? Respe- respected, but yes, yeah, yeah respectively. So, but if if Texas loses by any score, yeah, I think it's 
I think it's a massive, yeah, massive a disappointment. A lot, of, a lot of question marks. And it, it, maybe it feels more like, more like it did for us in 2018, right? Yeah. Where yeah. you seem to have the world at your fingertips and you're on this break of college football to say, we, we've got something great going here, but we lose and we have to reset our expectations and our thoughts towards who we are as a football team, which I really think, I really think they could be in that position to say, and it'll be funny to see how, how the national media spins it if Texas were to lose on Saturday. With um, respect to Texas? Yeah. I think that... Do they spin it as this is a great OU team who's gone in or yeah. who nobody thought was this good? Or they lost to OU. Or they lost to OU and it's this... Uh, and Texas just wasn't as good as what we thought. And, and by, by saying that Alabama also is not this great team this year as well because they got beat by Texas. I, I think know. I think the Bama win helps us nationally. Absolutely. Because we beat a team that beat Bama. Yeah. And that could prove that this wasn't a fluke unless, you know, some kind of blocked field goal run back for a touchdown in a close game or something that maybe, well, they got lucky and won the game kind of thing. But if we go out and show that we can hang and end up winning with them, then there may not be as much down to Texas because of their Bama win. Mm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Where, uh, if OU wins, give me a prediction about how high in the polls OU climbs. And let's, let's say that OU wins what seems like a decisive game. Not fluky, nothing fell into their laps. They just win the game um, by a, a clear touchdown um, or kind, more. Kind of like Texas did at Bama. They yeah. ended up winning yeah. by 10 yeah, where the fourth quarter. They, they yeah, they played it out. Yeah. Number seven. We, yeah, I, that's, that sounds about right to me. I think you'd have to go higher than that. I do too. I mean, you'd have one of the best wins, if not the best one, on the season. I think you. Sh- I think they should. They won't. They're, they're still ranking Georgia number one. Yeah, that, and that that is. I was ranting about that today. Uh, that that's just absolutely absurd. I mean, other than Texas is win, and what Ohio State's win, right? That's probably the next Notre Dame. next best win mm-hmm. that there is. I mean, we'd be right there with. Yeah. We should be nowhere. We should be like far four. behind Ohio State at worst. Right. I mean, I, mean I, I I tend to agree with Jay. I think in and I think there might be a chance that we do rise up that much. We are OU. Um, we as much as we're not getting a lot of credibility with what was last year, we are Oklahoma, and it's not like an Oklahoma State. Let's say just to pick a te- pick on a team. If they were in this position, they're not going to get the respect. It's going to take them a long way to get up to the echelon of, of greatness in terms of ranking. I think actually we might catapult very high depending on how things break. I don't see how you don't put us in front of USC. Um, I don't see how you don't put us in front of, um, oh, I'm blanking on the other team. Washington, Washington Penn State, Washington. Penn State, um, Penn State for sure. Um, obviously any of the one-loss teams. Yeah, uh, it could be Georgia, and you, Michigan. And you have to go in front of Texas at this point, right? I mean, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> I we're, think it would we're be close enough to, that you would. Yeah. yeah, I think it would be Georgia, Michigan. Assuming they win, obviously. Yeah, uh, yeah, all these teams winning. And they should. Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State. Yeah. Florida State. Florida State. Yeah, yeah actually, just barely. Yeah, yeah, but the, nationally, they, they love Florida State. Nationally, they do. Yeah. And they like they like I don't know. You could be even a, even after a close a game at Boston five. College, I mean, you could be a legitimate Penn, number five. Penn State. I mean, they don't have any quality win like that would be. Yeah. No. And Honestly, the the cachet is is like what Lucas uh, alluded to of with the Texas win. beat Bama. Yeah. I mean that you just you can't over if in Texas Tuscaloosa. was if Texas was five and zero oh and 
didn't have a Bama on their schedule, then right. no, we. I, I would think we moved to a seven, eight, nine. If we lose by a field goal, how far do we drop? Nineteen. I, I don't think all. we. I don't think we should drop. I don't think we should. Uh, I think we drop probably to fifteen. Um, I think there's a lot of volatility right now in terms of trying to figure out who OU is, and there's enough people that are doubting us. I think we actually drop some. Um, and it may be as deep as you're thinking of 19. I think it would. I really do. Hopefully I think we don't it's see just, that. I, I don't know. This I, I think it would be a little stickier. We've certainly been moving up slow. We've been moving sure. up very slowly. Very well, Bama slowly. didn't drop that far. Um, LSU had a, LSU's they got two losses now, and they're still in the top 20. What was, what was Texas ranked when they played Alabama? Were they like 10? Uh, and they jumped to 3? Yeah, because I think they started Something the season like off at 11 or 12. They did. Yeah, and that was their catapult, yeah. And they beat yeah. Rice not handily, but I still think they moved up to number 10 because of an, maybe the LSU loss to Florida State. I don't know. Well. Regardless. You know, it, we'll, we'll find out, obviously, uh, on Saturday and after the fact on Sunday where, where we actually climb after we win um, because that really gets us into thinking about what is definitely going to happen, and that, of course, is everything to do with locks of the week. The realest deal, locks of the week. So, so far this season, we've obviously had mixed results. Um, last week was a little bit of a neutral move for me. I was 1-1-1, one, one, and one, our first push of the season, and I am still holding up the rear at 42% winning. Connor, you were 1-2. and two. You're at 50-50 for the season. Uh, Lucas, 2-1. and one. 61%. You look like the all-star here. Oh, boy. And then Jay, 1-2, and two, but still very respectable, 56%. To put us as a, as a group, as a team, at 37-34-1, that's a, a 52% winning. Maybe we turn that around this week with some, some locks that are true locks. Who wants to start us off? I can start. Do it. Um, first pick, I've got, I've got Bama giving 2.5 uh, against Texas A&M. Texas A&M quarterback situation. I know that game's in uh, College Station, but I still think Bama covers the the field goal, or or, or by at least a field goal. Uh, I've got Colorado minus four and a half over Arizona State. This line really really confused me. I I don't. I know Colorado's coming off of two losses, to. But you believe. I believe that Arizona State sucks. <laughs> Arizona State gave USC a run. They suck too. <laughs> they did. They Colorado gave USC a run. Yeah. Yep. So, um, I think Colorado. I think Colorado wins by at least ten points. Um, and you then also, you're given ten. <laughs> no, my lock's four and a half. Okay. But <laughs> uh, and then I got Texas Tech getting a half a point against Baylor. I know Baylor had a big comeback win last week. Uh, Texas Tech has been a disappointment this year. I think they uh, they bounce back in a in a decent way, and I think they go and beat the Bears. Okay. I've got Tulsa plus three and a half. At FAU. Almost picked that. It's um, a good pick. It's weird. Tulsa's playing three owls in a row. <laughs> they played Temple last week, FAU this week, and Rice next they week. They call that the hat trick. That's, that's a very strange Ooh. occurrence. Are those the only owls in? I, I think I heard him talk on the radio. There was one more owl that was in a not in Division One, hmm. but I can't remember who it was. There's Tulsa probably beat them, too. Tulsa's uh, starting that kid that came in as a second string for uh, against us. Yeah. He's their starter. They had a pretty big so win last which week against Temple. They did. Yeah. And, I, they did. and I got faith in Kevin Wilson to turn it around. Yeah, it sounds like he's doing good things. So getting three and a half is, was kind of surprising to me. Um, I have Notre Dame minus six and a half at Louisville. Um, Louisville's undefeated, but... I don't think they're the real deal. It's Louisville. Um, Notre Dame, 
I think still has a good enough offense to go score points at Louisville. So that one's six and a half. And then I've got Rice minus nine and a half against UConn. Um, I don't know why I have that one. I, I've watched a couple Rice games this year, and I watched the Texas one, and then uh, I don't remember where the other one was. But I think I think Rice can score some points. So okay. UConn's really bad at football. Um, their basketball team's decent. Sometimes. Who they got? They got uh, Jim Moore out there right now at UConn. I think, I think so. Yeah. So nine and a half. Rice minus nine and a half at UConn. Okay. Jay, what do you got? All right, I'm gonna go with Kansas State minus eleven and a half at Oklahoma State. Friday Night Lights. Uh, mainly because I think the Pokes are just horrendous. Uh-huh. And that's really all I have to say about that game. I'm going to go with Oregon State minus 9.5 at Cal. I think Oregon State's a very underrated football team. I don't think Cal is very good. And I'm going to take a little bit of a flyer. I'm going to take Kentucky plus 14.5 uh-huh. against Georgia. And I might even take them straight up to win that game. I think I like it might that. be a massive I like that set. pick. Well, Georgia's been very disappointing. We were talking about it just a minute ago, so it's uh, I, I kind of sympathetic to that it's as a well. Chan- it's a chance for I mean, Mark Stoops to get a monkey off his back Kentucky's as well. quarterback is, you know, leaves a lot to be desired, but he's a his, culture, right? his culture that he's built there, which I can't believe he's been there for like 10 or 11 years now. Isn't that something? But Mike um, Stoops is on that They staff. are very physical. On both lines of the scrimmage, and Georgia is just not pushing people around like they have been. That game's between the hedges, though, in Georgia at Athens. But I, I mean, so I, I would like that a lot better at Kentucky. Fourteen and a half but is a lot of points. Yeah, that is a lot of points. As as it has proved to be for Georgia throughout this entire season, as they have really struggled. Yeah, barely struggled beat Auburn last week. Away. Well, I like one of your picks a lot. I've got KSU minus eleven and a half against Oklahoma State. Um, well-coached team against a team that I think is really sputtering. Army, minus two and a half against Boston College. Um, and then lastly, I've got OU covering six and a half against Texas. Uh, I might even take them straight up. I don't know. We'll see. Yes, we'll see. So let's talk about this game. Uh, let's give some score predictions. Um, obviously, this will be the first opportunity we've had this year to pick the Sooners uh, versus uh, a team that's supposed to beat us. Um, I'm going to take the Sooners. I've got a homer pick. I've got OU 38, Texas 31. Kind of a classic OU Texas type of score. Connor, what do you got? Like I said, I mean, if, if you ask me when we're driving down Friday, I might have a completely different score than what I have right now. Um, I still got OU losing a game in the regular season this year, and I think this is the game they lose. I think... Texas wins this one 35-31 to 31 in a what would be a, a probably considered a classic game, but one that we just can't we can't come out on top. And then I, I think we get them again in a rematch, and we'll, we'll have a completely different score prediction for the Big 12 championship game. I do think, uh, I don't know, the more, I mean, it's, it's out with my homerism. I've gone throughout the week, and I have been, just talking to you guys right now has me wanting to pick OU, but I, I cannot bring myself to do it just yet. So um, we'll see. I hope I want to be the first person to be wrong. And well, you've got to lock this, but you can amend it 
on Twitter or something if you want to uh, um, say that you've. Right. you've give me a couple of. Uh, <laughs> a give me a couple wax cup beers on Saturday <laughs> morning, and I'll I'll tweet from the stadium in a minute. So Get your we'll coupons. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, Jay, what do you got? I went thirty twenty Texas, and I don't feel good about it. I. How could uh, you? I can see a plethora of ways that OU wins this game, and we all know I, I hope OU wins this game. It's just like Connor. Um, I struggled right now, even though I'd given you my lock two hours ago. I'm just changing it right now on the fly because it's just so difficult. Uh, I do believe in this team, and I I hope I'm just as wrong as Connor is. And I actually think there's a good chance I am wrong. And I'm not very good at picking games. So. <laughs> yeah, that bodes well for you. Yeah, that's that's yeah. kind of, honestly, as dumb as that sounds, it's it's kind of one of the reasons I I went with it. Be- between everyone that I know, coworkers, friends, um, nobody's nobody's really giving our students a chance, and I like that. And if I have to be part of that, um, boy, was I wrong. That's fine with me. Lucas. <laughs> as much as i think the improved defense i'd like to hope that they could shut texas down i feel like there will be something fluky in this game whether it be a punt return touchdown kickoff return touchdown or pick six something along those lines that's going to get the score higher now i've got texas 41 ou 34 um i would hate to lose this game on something stupid like that but I've had plenty of years going in where I thought Texas was the better team and we've dominated. I've had plenty of years where we were the better team, 2008. I mean, you can name team after team that on paper and in person watching OU, we should have won the game and lost. And I think I'm going to pick Texas with the hope that it's another one of those screwy years for me that I've just completely missed. Well, all reasonable picks and reasonably argued. Um, I. I think that we all know where our heart is, and we also see the reality on the wall and the fact that this is by far OU's toughest game to date, but also probably on the schedule until the Big 12 championship game, if they were to make it. Uh, it will really show us what we've actually achieved in terms of development. It's a barometer. It's a milestone. It's a benchmark. However you want to talk about it, it's OU Texas, and it's everything. So... We'll be back with the post-game pod, all the deep analysis, hopefully a lot of victory celebrations and a lot of boasting. And if, we, if we win, I'm, I may be incoherent on this podcast. It's a good thing. It'll if be we, very late. If we win, it'll be a great thing that we have a three-plus-hour drive home um, yes. to get ready and yep. recoup. To then again celebrate. I might spend the night over here if we win. Yeah, hey, that's, I mean, that that's might a, be that's that might an be the available thing. option. So. I'll give it to you. That would be awesome. I'll. I'll Anything you want. If we if you can ensure victory, it would be great. And if if we can win, it will be a celebration. If for this sure. makes sense, mine is a respectable thirty to twenty. Like I I don't think the, I don't think they're right. up thirty to seven and we get some late trash late points. trash points. I I think it's a twenty three twenty game Competitive late before game all something the way. happens, a fumble, a turnover, they get a score with three mm-hmm. four minutes to go. We're going back down the field trying to score as quick as we can. I think even if we lose we'll get respect out of it and it'll give our guys a taste of what what we need to do and continue to improve on what levy needs to get better at what the team in general needs to get better at that's a great point i think that all of us are on the same page there 
all of us pulling for the Sooner victory. We'll be back with the post-game pod. Until then, Boomer Sooner. Sooner.